Hello, and welcome to another edition of Five Alive. It's good to have you with us today. We are going to be talking about the book of John, chapter 15, 13 through 27. And it starts off with a discussion about being a friend. Jesus says that we are no longer slaves or servants, but we are friends. And there was a song written several years ago called I Am a Friend of God. Perhaps you've heard it, perhaps you haven't. But it was kind of a controversial song because many people thought, well, how is it possible that God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of us, would be our friend? And yet Jesus describes exactly how he's our friend here in this passage of scripture. But before we get to the passage of scripture, I want to ask you, what is a friend? A person who you trust and rely on to be with you in certain moments. I mean, friends aren't, a good friend isn't always there during the good times. A good friend is the person who's with you through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, okay. Through it all. Sure. A person who sticks with you through thick and thin. Uh-huh. What is a friend to you, Mallory? A person that you can talk to about anything and everything and making sure, and if you really know that they are your true friend, that they won't tell other people if you don't want them to. Okay, so the hold confidences. Aisha? Yeah, the same. <laughs> okay. I wrote down, same as Xavier and some of what Mallory said, trustworthy, someone that I can tell anything to. And she went even further than I did and said they'll hold a confidence. Um, they're always there when you need them. And that doesn't always happen. And sometimes that's what leads to fights between friends is, is that we expect that a friend will always be there. And those moments that they're not disappoint us and sometimes even hurt us. And yet we still depend on and expect them to be there. Someone who listens, uh, someone who tells me about themselves, someone who I get to know, they reciprocate. A friendship isn't just a one-sided situation where I tell my friend everything about me and they know everything about me and I know nothing about them. But instead, we reciprocate to each other and I understand where they're coming from. They understand who I am and where I'm coming from. And we have this, uh, they, so they tell me about themselves. Sometimes a friend gives advice and good, solid advice, accurate advice. They include me. A friend will include me. Like a friend will invite me to their house for a dinner party. A friend will invite me to go out with them to hang out. A friend will not exclude me whenever something's going on, but instead they'll make sure that I am a part of what's happening and what's going on. A friend likes me for who I am. A friend doesn't come along. A good friend doesn't come along and forcefully change things that they don't like about me. They accept me. And, and they're tolerant of me in, in that acceptance. They let me make mistakes, yet they care enough to point out my mistakes. And because we have this reciprocal relationship where we both know each other, I don't get overly hurt. I don't feel overly judged. And I don't feel degraded when a friend tells me something. I'm able to accept it so that that way, maybe I do a couple of things wrong. My friend points it out to me. I change those things that I've done and I go around and I start apologizing to those that maybe I've hurt or that I've lost trust with because my friend pointed it out to me and I care for them and love them enough that I don't want to continue to go down that pathway, but I want to be the person that God created me to be. When we think of friendship and all of these things that we've brought up so far, those are the ways in perfection 
Those are the ways Christ wants us to see him. He is our friend that does all of these things that we've mentioned. When we tell him something, he keeps our confidence. Like I, I know we, we're Pentecostal and a lot of people have this fear that when they go to church, the preacher or whoever the speaker is at the front of the room is all of a sudden going to have a word of knowledge about something that they've done and they get scared. So therefore they don't go to church at all because they're afraid that God will call them out and say, hey, everybody, this person did this and this and this, and aren't they an awful person? But if Jesus is our friend, he's not the kind of person that when he knows something about us, he's going to tell everybody about it and destroy our confidence in him. Instead, he's the kind of friend that's going to come along and point those things out to us in private and in secret. And then he's going to allow us to change who we are so that that way we can be a greater friend to him in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you ever known somebody that's been afraid to go to church or to be in the presence of God? Aisha's raising her hand. Yeah, me. Yeah. My friend, she used, she afraid, like there is, I don't know, his pastor or something, he doing the prophecy or something. Uh -huh. I went there and she, he's uh, telling something and I said, why do you, uh, why, why do you want, don't want to come? And she's, no, I'm afraid if they, they will say something bad about me because I have done lots of bad things. I said, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Then I also thought like maybe it's happened. That's sure. why she's saying. Sure. But Jesus, as a friend, he wouldn't do that kind of a thing, right? After that, I, I realized that, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not true. I mean, I used to feel the same way whenever I started finding out about Pentecost and that they believed in the gifts of the Spirit and that there's this thing called word of knowledge. I was like, oh no, they're going to know every bad thing I've ever done. How are they going to do that, though? I mean, God would have to reveal it to them, and yet these are things that we tell him in confidence, and so therefore he keeps them, like a good friend would. He includes me. A lot of people have a real big struggle with the fact that Christianity proclaims and truthfully proclaims that there is no way to heaven except through Jesus. And that's a truthful statement. There is no other pathway. There is no other way to come to heaven. You can't keep on doing what you want to do and feel good about yourself even in those moments where you know you've sinned and you've done things wrong and then all of a sudden achieve heaven. Instead, the real way, the real path, the real uh, desire of our heart has to be through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and only by believing on him and professing his name do we achieve heaven. And that sounds very isolating. That sounds like it's very um, uh, exclusive. Yet Jesus invites us. He doesn't exclude anybody from that invitation. He says, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. Now, if you exclude yourself, you can't blame your friend for not going to the event that they have planned for you. If you found something better to do, like wash your hair or go to somebody else's house or just sit at home when your friend is having a party and then you see everything that they've done on social media and then you get jealous because you didn't attend, that's not their fault that you didn't attend you were invited. And Jesus is the same way. He's given an invitation unto all of us in the world. Come to me and I will give you a relationship with creator God, our heavenly father, and you will have eternal life. And the rejection of that promise and the rejection of that prophecy and the rejection of that invitation falls then on us and not on Jesus. 
And I think this is something that people get confused on these days because they feel like no invitation has been given to them, but it has. I'll invite you on behalf of Jesus because he is my friend. Come to Jesus today and you will inherit eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. With all these things said, let's go ahead and look at John chapter 15, verses 13 through 27. That's the remainder part of this passage of scripture. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, who I will send from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the reading of God's Word. So again, we start off with Jesus talking about the fact that greater love has no one than he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says that he and I are friends. We are friends together. And then he goes on to describe that the reason that we are friends is because he no longer calls us servants because he has revealed to us who he is. He's revealed to us his plan and he reveals to us his love for us. So therefore we can no longer be servants. And we've had um, the ability to have a person, a maid here in India, who has come and cleaned our floors for us before and washed our dishes for us. And that person is somebody who comes into the house, they do their job, and they leave. And once a month, we give them their paycheck. They're not our close friend that we have them over and we sit down and we have tea and we... Have, make sure that we eat a meal together and then we talk about our future plans and we talk about our children and we talk. That's not the way we treat a servant, but the way we treat somebody who is a friend is we have them into our house. We sit down and we eat with them. We go out to the movies. We go to a restaurant. We go and we hang out. We go to, we go on vacation, maybe even together. And we, we're constantly in each other's company and it's a moment of joy. And Jesus says, that's not where you're at anymore. You are not my servant. You are my friend. And he emphasizes this information that he has given 
to us that he is reciprocating, not just to listen to us in a, a situation where God is the one who requires a sacrifice from us in order to appease his anger so that that way we will get something that we want. Instead, we have a friendship where we are constantly in communication with each other, and that communication form is through prayer. We pray aloud, and he listens we sit silently and we reciprocate those moments of silence by listening to what he has to say to us. And yes, he will talk, God will speak to you if you will sit and listen to him. And so Jesus then continues to go on saying that knowing him, knowing Jesus is the same as knowing God. And knowing Jesus and knowing God is to be a friend of God. This means that we are not pawns. We're not servants or the domestic help. We're not slaves. We're not casualties of war or collateral damage in his plan that he just throws to the side nonchalantly because he doesn't really care about us as long as we do what he wants and then that gets accomplished. Then he's like, well, forget you. I'm not there for you anymore. That's not the way God treats us. He doesn't treat us like we're a tool he doesn't treat us like we're a flunk, flunky or menial, but instead he treats us out of love, out of care, out of respect, out of honor. He, he wants to be there to comfort us. And these are all words. These are all truths. These are all emotions that we experience when we are with God that elevate our status in life and the world as we know it. Most importantly, what we've just read in this passage of scripture in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 27, is verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus has chosen us. He chose us because he loved us first. He chose us. He invited us to be his companion, his friend, his brother, because he loved us first. We didn't discover him and then go, oh man, I really want to be with Jesus. Instead, he sought us out. And if you think over the time that you gave your heart to the Lord, if you are a Christian, and if you're a long-standing Christian, Jesus is the one that was revealed to you. You didn't go and just discover Jesus. He showed himself first. I can remember when I was just eight years old, and I first heard about it with any kind of cognitive reflection and good memory. I can remember I was eight years old when I came to Christ and first discovered how much he loved me. And my first choice was I wanted to be a part of him. And then the next day, my choice was I didn't care anymore. I wanted to go do whatever I wanted to do. And I wanted to have fun and do my own thing and be my own, you know, be my own person separated from the church and separated from Jesus. I wanted to be Matt Rollins. At that time, I went by my middle name, Kane, and I wanted to be Kane. And I just wanted to do Kane kind of things. I wanted to have fun and I wanted to have adventures and I wanted to not get in trouble anymore. Yet Jesus still revealed himself to me first. What about you guys? Did Jesus reveal himself to you first? Did he choose you? He chose us first and we it is up to us to choose whether or not to accept his choosing us because even in him choosing us he gives us the choice of following him or befriending him mm -hmm. like 
he sends out, <laughs> this sounds really lame, but he sends out the request to be friend with you, but it's up to you whether or not to confirm or decline. But even if you decline, you can always confirm again. You can always right. come back to Jesus. Unless you die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in this life, definitely. Yes. So Jesus chooses us. And as we concluded with verse 12 last week, uh, and Jesus reemphasizes in today's scripture reading, is that to show that we love God is to obey him. And to be his friend is to obey him and his commands. And what is the greatest command? Well, he emphasizes it here at the end of verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love one another. Amazingly, and unlike the world, this does not mean that if your neighbor chooses to be disobedient to God, you love them by making them feel bad about their life or their life decisions, or you berate them and beat them over the head with, you should have done this statements, or you should have done that statements. It also doesn't mean that you ignore their bad behavior and tolerate their wrong choices, but instead you help guide them back to this person of truth, the pathway of life, Jesus Christ himself. But we don't do this by overly judging them and hating them by, you know, uh, joining together in laws that say, you know what, we're going to exclude all people that are like this, X people, because they are like this, or the color of your fingernail polish can never be blue. And so anybody who has blue fingernail polish has to go to jail. And I know that sounds kind of absurd, but that's the way we treat people. And we do it by saying that we love them, but we don't like the color blue. So we're going to make anybody who wears the color blue go to jail. That does, that's not loving one another. But yet that's exactly what we do. We look through human history. We see the Nazis slaughtered Jews because of their religious background. Here in India, we see a hatred for Muslims growing over and over again just before the pandemic that there were riots going on in Delhi because the Hindus were standing against the Muslims because they were different than them. Uh, we have it going on in Buddhist nations where the Buddhists go out and they will just kill anybody that is not Buddhist because they want everybody to be Buddhist. And yet Jesus says that's not the way as Christians we're supposed to behave. The way we behave, the way we live our lives is if we love Jesus and we are his friend, then we will love one another. And so what is love? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8 mentions ways of love and we can read it and we can quote it and we can say, okay, this is what love is. Or we can take it and we can turn it into exactly what love is for us today. I love Xavier, so therefore I'm going to be patient with him whenever he's making a decision. I love Mallory and so therefore, I'm going to be kind to her. And when she's uh, wanting to give me a hug, I give her a hug back. And when I want to give her a hug, she gives me a hug back because we love each other. I'm not envious of the fact that Xavier has beautiful hair. It's so long and it looks so good. It's so healthy and I'm missing my hair. And so I don't sit there and go, man, I wish I had Xavier's hair and envy him. 
I'm not arrogant about the fact that I am a Christian who's following after Jesus, and yet Blair isn't at the same level as me. And so therefore, I look down on her and go, well, you know, if you would just get your stuff together a little bit better because I'm so arrogant, that's not what love is. Love also avoids being rude, which is a part of that arrogance that we can walk around with where we are also boasting to everybody about how good God is to us so that that way they want nothing to do with us and they want nothing to do with God. Love doesn't insist on its own way, saying my way is right, your way is wrong, and if you don't agree with me, then I can never be a friend of yours. Love refrains from irritability. Love is cautious in being a person who is not resentful and holding a grudge or, or holding resentment towards somebody else. Love does not rejoice when your neighbor is hurt, loses a client, loses their job, or is proved wrong. Love never says, I told you so. That's not love. And so if I'm doing those things to my brother, my sister, my neighbor, uh, next door, my uh, co-workers, or a person that I'm passing on the street, then I am not a person who loves one another. And yet that's the command that Jesus gives me is to love one another. Can you see a problem with the world that we live in that constantly rejects this way of love? Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus is saying for the church to be different. And specifically, the Bible wasn't written for the people in the church to go and point their fingers at everybody in the world and make them feel bad about their decisions. In fact, the words when Jesus is speaking to us, he's not speaking to us about our neighbor. He's speaking to us about us. When Xavier read this passage of scripture today, if you felt convicted by anything that it said and what, what he read today... He wasn't saying that so that that way you could go tell your mom or dad that they're a bad person and they need to change the way they are. And the reason is, is because of what you read in the Bible today. No, instead, what that word that you heard today and that pricking on your heart, that was meant for you. It was meant for you because Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to not be a horrible, rotten person, and he doesn't want you to be condemned to hell. Instead, he wants to love you and care for you, invite you into heaven. And yet, he goes on in verse 18, and he talks about the fact that the world hates him. And if it hated him, it's going to hate us. And yet, for some reason, have you ever noticed that we really want people in the world to accept us? Yeah. What are some of the things we do in order to get accepted by the world? Talk like the world dress like the world. We tried to act like the world with as little Christianity as possible, but still say we're Christians because we have this little bit that we show. Hmm. Seclude people like the world. If you're not like me in this area, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. So seclusion, keeping people beneath us, making sure that we're the dominant leader and nobody else can rise up to be a leader. Control. Control. Manipulation. Hmm. People in the church manipulate and control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People who call themselves Christians do that? Mm -hmm. Is that what Jesus did? No. Mm -hmm. So why do we think that that's what we're supposed to do? Because we want to be like the world. Because we want to be accepted by other people. We want to have people follow us. We want to follow them. We want what 
they think Jesus had, which is this great multitudes of people that love him and follow him and adore him. But they forget about later on that everybody turns on him and condemns him right. to death. The world's a hateful place. Yeah. The world even hates its own. Like the world doesn't just sit there and embrace everything it everything about everybody. Instead, it Blair talked about this just a second ago. It secludes. It says, okay, this is acceptable right now, but this isn't acceptable right now. And so therefore, everybody that's like the thing that we don't accept right now, we ostracize them and kick them to the curb so that that way they're no longer valuable. But these people are valuable right now. The world hates its own to the point where the Twitter wars, the social media wars that go on, one day this person's really liked and beloved by everybody in the world according to Twitter and then in a couple of days they're going to get into a fight or a feud with somebody that everybody will turn and reject that person that once was loved just a few days ago all of a sudden now everybody hates them and they hate them so much that the person will go into a depression the person will maybe even commit suicide because nobody likes me, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, nobody's invited me to be around them anymore. Because the world hates its own. The world is, is like that animal that will consume its young. And that's exactly what we see happen every day. And yet we still want to appease the world so that that way they'll accept us for some reason. There's this longing inside of our hearts to, to be like, to have money, to have power, to have fame, to have followers and friends. So we change our hair, we change our body image, we change our clothes, we put ink on our bodies, we pierce our bodies in different ways, we change our friends and we ignore our family. And we go into debt just so that that way we can be accepted by others because we want to be popular and we want strangers, complete strangers that we've never seen before and we'll probably never see again. We want them to like us for some reason. And yet Jesus is telling us, the world is going to hate you. So when you do feel rejected after you've done all of those things in order to gain somebody's acceptance, when you feel rejected still, Jesus told us that that's what's going to happen. But did Jesus say, I too will reject you as well? No. No, instead Jesus says, you're my friend. I love you. I invite you to be a part of me. Don't chase after those that will hate you. Accept those that love you, and I love you. The world is going to hate you. People are going to hate you. Situations are not always going to benefit you. And our response to this is to love. Our response to this is not to take revenge against those who have done something bad to us. Our response is not to force our rights on other people and say, well, this is my right because the law constituted to be so. We don't hate back because they hated us. We don't make fun of them because they made fun of us. We don't physically fight with them because they came and punched us. We don't try and destroy them or manipulate them. No, instead, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to love. Remember that thing, patience, kindness, not being arrogant, not demanding our way. That's what we're supposed to be. And yet that is hard. Have you found that to be hard? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the first thing that always comes to our mind, is it? I remember just a couple of days ago, we were driving down the road and for absolutely no reason at all, a police officer pulls us over. No reason. He 
looks at our car, he looks at us in the car, and he pulls us over. Is there anything wrong? Did we do anything wrong? We did nothing wrong. Did we have bad documents? We had no bad documents. We're all a family that's sitting here in front of a microphone on a podcast right now without our masks on, yet we were in the car with our masks on. He had no reason, zero reason to pull us over, and yet he pulled us over. And then he started hating on us. He tried to grab the keys out of the car. He tried to take our documents our, so that that way he would have control of the situation. He tried to do everything he could so that that way he could just continue to hurt us and subject us to make us feel like I need to give this guy something so he'll get rid of me. And I was t- talking to Addison a little bit about this this morning to the fact that sometimes when you see a police officer, for the majority of people in this world, they see the police officer as a person who's going to help them if they have a problem. And yet the majority of the time when I'm driving down the road today, just like a couple of days ago, when I see the police officer, that is not my first reaction. My first reaction is this guy is going to try and hurt me. And unfortunately, that's the way some people see God, as if he just wants to hurt them. Because the authority figures here on this earth are hateful. The police can be hateful. They can abuse their power. Am I saying every police officer on the face of the earth does that? No. I'm just saying that's the first thing that goes through my mind because of how badly I've been treated by police officers within the past several months, this whole year, within the last several years even. And so I don't see a police officer and go, oh, thank goodness there's a police officer here. I see a police officer and I go, oh, goodness, I need to go the other way. I need to get out of here as fast as I can. My heart starts beating. My adrenaline starts pumping. And I start thinking of anything and everything I can do in order to not get arrested. And I'm not even doing anything wrong. I'm not speeding. I'm not doing some kind of criminal activity. I'm not dealing drugs. I'm not dealing with prostitutes. I'm not dealing with any of these things. I'm completely pure. And the reason I bring all that up is because sometimes people say, well, if you didn't have anything to hide, then you wouldn't be afraid of the police. That's not true. It wasn't true this past week when we were pulled over twice. We had done nothing wrong. And yet two times within a matter of a few hours, two different police officers pull us over because they were corrupt. But that's not the way God is. But that is the way the world is. So why do we always try and appease the world? We've got to ask ourselves that. Why do I want the world to love me so badly when Jesus freely gives us his love? When it comes to the world and its hatred, and it comes to Jesus and his love, I want to choose Jesus and his love. When I choose Jesus and put him first, as we've talked about before in our priorities, My love for my wife grows. My love for my children grows. My love for my neighbors grow. And the world really isn't that bad. Even though there's moments that there's dejection, there's rejection, and there's people that hate on me. For the most part, because I love God first, I love my wife second, and I love my children third, their reciprocation of love back to me helps get me through those moments when everything just seems so awful. And so we've got to remember that when Jesus says things like, if you love me, you'll obey me, he's not saying this to our neighbor or our family member we don't like. His command to obey him is for me. His command to love others is for me. 
So I've got to stop projecting my disgust, my hatred, my pain, my hurt, my dislike, and God's laws on everyone else. And I have to accept the fact that the Bible and God's word is for me so that I can know God more intimately and so that I can be a friend of God. The Bible is not a reference book to shame or condemn others. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it. But John 3.17 says he came to save it. And yet the world rejects his love. The world rejects his salvation. And when I choose hatred, when I choose my rights, or the world's way of manipulation, greed, power, I'm rejecting obedience to Christ. And if I'm rejecting to obey him, I'm rejecting Jesus. I have a few passages of scripture that I'd like to read. I'm going to start it off with Isaiah chapter 61, verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This passage of scripture that he loves justice and hates robbery and wrong, that's not for me to point the finger at the robber. And that's not for me to point my finger at the unjust, saying, look how much better I am. Instead, it's a way of me evaluating my heart and my life and saying, am I robbing? Am I doing things wrong? Am I a person of justice? Or am I just demanding it out of everybody else? We have Jeremiah 46.10. That day is the day of the Lord, God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. This is a passage of scripture talking about God's vengeance. You know what's pretty interesting or pretty uh, awe-inspiring is, is that we are not to be people filled with hate and anger and disgust. We're to be people that are full of love, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's what we're to be filled with, self-control. We're supposed to be filled with that. And yet there will be a day of vengeance for those who are doing wrong. There will be a moment that vengeance will be played out, but it's not played out by you and I. It's played out by God. God is the one that brings justice. Isaiah 35 says, uh, verse 4, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And I think of the horrible atrocities that have happened throughout the world where there's been wars and there's been rumors of wars and people have been treated unjustly. We don't have to be anxious for those that were treated unjustly and we certainly aren't the ones that play the part of judge and con condemner. Instead, we are the ones that stay strong, we don't fear, and we trust God will take vengeance in that day. Micah chapter 5 verse 15. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. So the Lord is warning those nations that if they don't fall in line with him, if they aren't operating in love, caring for the poor, caring for the widows, caring for those that need assistance, and yet taking bribery and those kinds of things instead, his warning is, is that his vengeance is going to come upon those nations because they have not obeyed him. You say, wait, uh, you talking about like Russia? Are you talking about like Iran? Are you talking about like America? 
Yeah, if the nation is not in obedience and in compliance with God's word, there will be a day that there will be a judgment for not just the nation, but all the people within that nation if they did not obey his commands. This is this is what the Bible says. It's not just all about love and good feelings. There are consequences for our actions. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And that's a New Testament scripture, just, just for those that are afraid that a God of vengeance is an Old Testament God. This is in the book of Romans that Mallory just read for us to recognize the fact that our anger, our vengeance, our revenge is still not our own. It is something appointed unto God. He is the one in control of vengeance, not us. Last passage of scripture is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 through 36. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. This passage in Hebrews is a hard one to swallow. To think about the fact that they are people who had their possessions taken, and yet they joyfully accepted it. Had their property plundered, and yet they were willing to say, it's okay, God's in control. And yet I think about the anger that wells up within our hearts today in the 21st century if somebody scratches our car on accident or how ugly we can treat each other just because we bump into somebody on the street. And yet we're to love one another. And accidents happen. We draw plates and glasses. I was working in a daycare one time. I was taking care of the morning class. And so the parents were coming in. It was bright and early, 7 o'clock in the morning. The parents were coming in and dropping off their, their uh, little ones mm -hmm. to be in the daycare program while they worked. This one gentleman, he had walked in, had gotten my particular class. I had three, three and four-year-olds. And they were sitting down, they were having their breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. And this man, he came in, he was dressed up in a suit and a tie, shiny shoes. He had, you know, watch done to a T. So he's very, you know, he was ready for business that morning. And uh, I had this little child, he goes, well, I, I'm here, I brought my son. And I was like, great. And this little child comes up and he's like, Miss Blair. And he just spills his cereal, <laughs> full of milk, cereal, the whole bowl on top of this man's shoes. And I was like, oh, no. You know, I was thinking it's 7 o'clock in the morning. This little one just spilt his whole entire bowl all over this man's shoes and socks and mm -hmm. pants legs. And who knows what kind of meeting he is about to face at 8 o'clock in the morning once he gets and arrives to work. And I immediately got a towel, started washing his feet, started just, and he said, no need for that. It's okay. Accidents happen. And I'm okay. 
I have a young one who's three, obviously. <laughs> and it's amazing I got out the door this morning without cereal on my shoes. So it's okay. So we, I took his son and we went and sat down and I cleaned up the rest of the spill. And the man went on and I just knew I was going to be yelled at. And that man could have yelled at me for any any rhyme or reason. Sure. But the gentle approach to me was a gentle reminder of love as Christ loves. Mm -hmm. And in that instant, I don't know if that man was a follower of Christ or not. I have no idea. But what I do know is he showed me love as Christ would have loved him. Yeah. Limit the world to me. Yeah, absolutely. In verses 26 and 27, at the conclusion of John chapter 15, we discover that it's really hard to love others. Yeah, it's inevitable that the world is going to hate us, but it's hard to love others. As you're just describing, that man had somebody help him understand, I have a three-year-old kid and this could have happened at home. And so it's not your fault. It's not that this is an accident. And Jesus talks about it the same way. He says, you know, you're going to have those moments that it's just going to be hard for you to practice this command that I'm giving you of love. It's going to be hard for you to be obedient to me. And so what does he do? Does he leave us alone to just suffer through it and then sacrifice an offering to him later so that that way maybe he'll forgive us? Or does he send us a helper? He sends us a helper. He sends us the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and to help point out these very things like Blair's talking about of accidents happen. Why do I have to be so upset about coffee getting spilt on me by my neighbor on the bus? It happens sometimes. It's okay. It'll, it'll all get washed. That's what there's washing machines for. <laughs> Wow, I accidentally burnt this when I was cooking today. It's okay. That's why we have cleaning products. Because we can clean it off and it'll look just as good as new later. It's okay. We don't have to be so harsh and so mean. We have a helper that's right here with us. Yes. I remember one time uh, me and daddy went to go eat at a restaurant with, um, I think they were pastors. And there was this table and I had to sit where the crack was so there's a crack on the table and the lady goes and sets my sprite down where the crack is oh, no. and and it went and it fell on my lap and it was so cold <laughs> and then the lady right beside me which is I think it's the pastor's wife and she's like here let me take you to the bathroom and wash it off for you and I was like oh thank you and I was like my legs are super cold but I don't care because it's something that could help and and she was like, I will scoot your chair over so that way you don't have that happen to you again. Yeah. Were you upset that that lady spilled Sprite on you? No. Were you upset at daddy? No. Were you upset at the lady sitting next to you? No. Was there a great anger within you? No. No. I just thought it was funny. I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be one of the stories that my dad's going to tell almost everybody. <laughs> and do I? No, because I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest and most important thing that the Holy Spirit does is he points out who Jesus is. That's the greatest thing that he does. He witnesses about Jesus. He gives a testimony about Jesus. He talks to us about who Jesus is. 
I don't have to worry and concern myself with fear and intrepidation, being scared of the Holy Spirit, because he is a helper. He is there to continue to point the pathway who is Christ. Is there anything else that you saw in this passage of Scripture today? Jesus, as well, went through life and as is these this passage of scripture so eloquently states the world hates him so when we ask christ jesus into our heart as our personal lord and savior and our mission in life is to live a life that's edifying and pleasing to him and to share the good news we have to be reminded that we're going to be hated as well yeah and christ has walked this earth he has walked in the same life as we have and so to think that as a follower of christ you're going to be perfectly exempt from not thinking that oh man my neighbor is going to love me all the time everyone's going to love me all the time it's not true and you can't make it happen because you have to become like the world in order for that to become there's no way around it and there have been many men and many women that have tried to say, oh no, no, I could be that one. What if I am that chosen one that God has chosen to be more famous than he is? They falter time and time and time again. So accept what scripture says. It's the truth. It speaks. It's relevant today, even in 2021. His word is without void. And that John 15 verse 20 just says it so eloquently. Jesus says it so eloquently. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for every single day and that everybody will worship you and love you and that we all have a great day every single day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Amen.